exactly who I am. Now, say my name. We must pay homage to him. All right, folks, we're back with another edition of the Red and White Podcast. And yes, Will finally dialed in so we can get going Friday afternoon and it's football season. How are you doing, Will? I'm good. I wanted to give you time to uh, get our new intro music set up. It's a dope beat, right? I do like that. (laughs) It was really good. That's uh, the quote from Walter White in there. I love it. Smooth. So we got football. How do you feel about that? Uh, well, you know, I was up late watching, jeez, uh, oh, who was it? Uh, UAB and uh, mm-hmm. Central Arkansas. So, yeah. uh, and and Wahida was also watching it. So you can tell everyone is desperate for something to be on yeah. TV. Yeah, I stayed up and watched the Central Arkansas. I don't remember who they played, the opener. Well, the first one was... Oh my God! Central Arkansas and oh my goodness, uh, Will Healy School, Austin P. Yes, yeah, yeah. With the opening touchdown, seventy-five yard opening touchdown was good. But the pack is back at it. We get to it. Uh, they're they move the kickoff date back to September nineteenth. Opening against Wake Forest, I think that change is good for us. Rather play Wake Forest and Virginia Tech on the road, just all opponents being equal. I'd probably rather a home game than the road game. I think the road teams are going to have a bit of a learning curve. So getting that, you know, getting that first game at home, I think is more beneficial uh, to to the back. Yeah. Plus, you have a lot of experience scouting Wake Forest already, so the guys are going to know that game plan. Not inside and out, but a lot easier for them to digest on a shorter notice. Um, Wake Forest, who was picked 10th in the ACC, one spot above the Wolfpack in the preseason poll that came out today. Uh, My opinion on that is I think being underestimated, or maybe they're underestimating the impact of the injuries last year and just I don't think that is a reflection of the state of the program. And, you know, it's it's probably, for state fans' sake, it's probably better, better to be considered, you know, or better to be underestimated than overestimated. I just, I think that's historically a better position for us to be in. I feel like that's probably the case here is people are thinking, just thinking about the records, thinking about some of the games they lost, and not the the whys and the hows. And like, yeah, I'll just put them down there at 11. That's probably my opinion. Do you think any factor uh, or the COVID testing recently was a factor, I guess is what I would think. Like maybe anyone that's smart enough to say, hey, we had injury issues at, at an astronomical level last year, new coordinators, and they just got delayed for two weeks because of contact tracing, maybe that also didn't help. I don't think the recent situation was maybe as impactful. I can see that if you're a writer and you say, well, they have a whole bunch of new coaches, new scheme, all that jazz. 
and they didn't get the spring to implement it. I can understand how that's your justification. I don't think there's any justification for the recent events, at least. I think everybody's dealing with some sort of situation like that. And for them to factor that in, uh, I don't think that would probably, I don't think that probably happened. I was trying to be nice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the things that's going to happen and you know, this one I want to talk about today is if, if, and when COVID strikes, certain teams, right? It's going to affect a lot of people and it's going to affect the depth. It's going to affect, you know, who's playing and whatnot. And yesterday or the day before Doran came out and said that Leary's a starter. We knew that, but Hawkins is back up and Finley's behind him. I think that's interesting. I don't, if I had to guess, let's say we get halfway into the season and maybe something happens to Leary and he can't play. I'm guessing you're going to see Finley before Hawkman. I think we know what we got with Hawkman. Unless they don't feel that good about him, I don't think they would have put him as a third if that situation was different. Right? I, I think you know what you got with Hawkman. He'd be serviceable. He might not lose any games, but he's not going to win you any games. So depending on how the rest of the team is, I think if it gets to the point where they need a backup quarterback, and I think you're going to need backups at every position at some point, I imagine you're going to see Finley. I I would contend. So I, I think he's third on the chart because yeah. Tim Beck had said in a Wolfpacker interview that essentially he's making the right plays and doing making the right reads without knowing why he's doing that. So he's got kind of that inherent Maybe it's a Finley gene. I don't know. But he seems to at least be processing things at a uh, higher level. The only thing I would say is you have Hockman, and you've at least seen that he can take some wear and tear. So I think if it's a situation, that if he has improved his decision-making, I could see them trying to leverage that beforehand. I mean, there was a video um, from the scrimmage. Now, God, you know, there's probably maybe only 20 players total for that scrimmage. But there was a really nice one-handed uh, grab from um, Dylan Parham, and it was Bailey Hockman making the throw. So he's he's getting burned, and you know, I mean, my biggest concern last year was I just didn't think we had a lot of we didn't have a strong coaching room, in my opinion, for for the young quarterbacks. So I'm at least a little bit more confident in Beck if he has to you know, sprinkle these guys in and out. And at least it's good that Finley is backing up that quote by being on the third, third on the chart, I guess is what I'd say. Yeah. You know, and how I always look about, I think about decision-making, I don't think that gets exponentially better as these quarterbacks develop. I think they get smarter, they learn more things, but I think there's an inherent, ability to you know make the right decisions i think mm-hmm. certain guys are predisposed to it. maybe you know i'm not going to say somebody's smarter than the other but they're maybe in a more football sense and the perfect example of this and this, i just put this out on on twitter to somebody who responded while while we were waiting is Jalen mcclendon and i never i wasn't super high on him out of high school because his decision making like if you look at his numbers it was like a one-to-one touchdown interception ratio and i think at high school if you can't 
show that you can be an elite decision maker in high school, then it's going to be tough to translate that into college unless your athletic ability kind of overcomes that. And I think you saw that with him. You think you saw that with why he didn't get on the field and why, you know, Finley beat him out in a lot of cases. It wasn't the arm strength. It wasn't speed. It wasn't, I guess it was just, you know, making the right decisions. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, you'll see that when in play with Finley. And I think that's a big advantage to Ben Finley to have somebody like Ryan Finley to learn from, right? You, you know, somebody's going to teach you what's, what's important for the ins and outs of being a college quarterback, you know, those sorts of things. Like that's his brother. The, the you know, having somebody there to to lean on like that, I think that's a huge advantage to him. And I don't think it speaks to Ty Evans. I think it speaks more to Finley's success. I, I don't know what ha- what happens with Evans or you know where he is in development, but I think they knew Evans coming in was going to be a little bit more of a developmental guy. Yeah. You know, he he was talented and he was elite eleven guy and all that, but I think they knew that he wasn't going to be an instant impact quarterback. Well, I think if I remember, they had said that you know he was going to have to hit the SNC program in particular. Right. Um, now, if I remember, Finley is actually a little bit stockier than his brother, so maybe he's a little bit more uh, improved right. there. I mean, the number one thing with Dave Doran has always been protecting the ball and winning turnover margin. So you know, Finley, if he's got his brother's decision making, and if Hockman and Leary haven't improved there it's easy to see why he could quickly move up. And then it's just a question of, you know, can we suffer through another growing pains here of seeing a young quarterback play? Um, yeah, there's going to be so many factors into the, that success. Uh, I think you'll see. And I think this is probably why I'm confident you'll see a better Leary because I think you'll see a better pieces all around him. And even, you know, rising tide lifts all boats, right? I think if everybody else is getting a little bit better, even if Leary doesn't at all improve, he's still going to be better than he was last year because everybody else around him is going to help and make things better. Offensive line, running backs, wide receivers catching the ball, stuff like that, play calling. One of the questions we got was, how do you think Leary's progressed? And to me, I think we might have talked about this a little bit on the last – pod but i think leary is good enough talented enough that he's going to have progressed he's going to be better than he was and he's going to uh, you know make that next step i don't know if it's going to be the step but it's going to make that next step to being a good college quarterback I, i just have faith that he's got everything you need to do it and you know, so I'm I'm confident that he's progressed enough, and that everybody else being better around him is going to really help elevate, you know, his performances. Yeah, I'm. I was trying to pull up his stats while we were talking here. I mean, look, he's got uh, he he's got nowhere to go but up from last year, right? Um, you know, he was a 48 percent completion quarterback last year. You know, everyone was really upset with. Hockman and McKay, and they were only 55 and 57%. So he obviously needs to take a pretty big step up. But at the same time, like, again, you he was third on the chart last year, and everything that I had heard was he was third because of turnovers. And, you know, so when you're not getting reps with the first team in, in camp, 
uh, and during the season, and then you're just thrust into it, it's not surprising that your connection is off. Then you factor in injuries at wide receiver, injuries on the O-line, and constantly being behind, you know, leading to more passes, which means the defense knows you're going to throw the ball. So I'm not shocked he had bad numbers. I think even just in a normal situation, you would think he'd be able to mimic, you know, McKay's number of like 57%. And I think we'll be really happy if he's like a 60% completion type quarterback. And even if he's just got kind of pedestrian numbers, if he has a good TD to interception ratio, he's not the problem. You know, it's probably going to mean good things for us, just all things considered. And, and we'll be able to flush last year, the memory of it quickly. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, that's going to be the key there. I think he'll, he'll improve. And I think it's going to be, I think everybody will be pleasantly surprised. At least that that's my gut feeling on it. I think there was enough around him. And to me, the, you know, the biggest, maybe boon for him is Tim Beck, right? I think having having an offensive coordinator who knows what the hell he's doing, like I just think that's going to be invaluable to, you know, the performance of the offense. And you know, these guys are all talented, and I think that's it's going to show up if you get the right uh, you get the right coaching, get the right things going. I think these guys, these kids are all, these all they can all play. Yeah, and I would also. What I wanted to. Oh, sorry. Go I ahead. was just going to say no, the one thing ahead. I would not forget is Tim Beck likes mobile quarterbacks, and Devin Leary is a mobile quarterback. So, do not be surprised if if he is an active participant in the in the rush game, because I think that would also help. Is just giving him some defined easy runs will help with his confidence. Um, I think early on in the season, and I could definitely see that, especially against Wake Forest. Yeah, you know, it, people are kind of surprised about that, that he's got some wheels. But if you watch his high school tape, especially, like he ran a lot. And he he was quick out of the pocket. So I, I think he'll he'll get some run. And I don't I, I think people will be pleasantly surprised. I don't think you want him running too much, to be honest, just because uh, you don't of need what's it behind lot, him. Right? But you only right. need the threat of it, right? And that threat will yeah. help everything else. So, you know, Certainly. if he's got four or five rush attempts a game, it wouldn't surprise me. And not not QB scramble rushes, if you know what I mean. Right, right, right. So what? how I wanted to approach this, you asked, you asked me earlier, what are we going to talk about? I want to go through – kind of a preview, right? And I don't want to rattle through the schedule, but I want to talk about the team and like the strengths, the weaknesses, and you know, the maybe the unknowns or concerns that we might have. So straight away, what do you think is the best position group? Uh, on defense, I'm going to say linebacker just because there's so much depth there and, mm-hmm. and sneaky good athleticism in it. And then uh, on offense, I mean, it, it's got to be running back. For me. Right. Um, yeah, I think those are the strengths. Right, what do you say? What are the two weakest? Uh, on offense, I'm going to say it's O-line. Uh, I'm concerned about the depth there just in general. There's some really promising young talent, but I, all it takes is just one or two injuries, and I, I question how gelled everyone can be with COVID breaks there. And then on defense, I actually think, 
first I was going to say safety, but we there was a good report about um, uh, the the guy the Juca that came in. God, I'm trying. Yeah, so I'm a little less worried there. I've actually been banging on the drum on the DL the D line. I one I th- I think that outside of Aleem um, and maybe Val Martin, there's still some question marks, especially at the defensive end spot. Two, I, you know, we lost every basic, basically every pass rusher we had in the offseason. And Gunter was supposed to be that guy. Elias was supposed to be that guy. And so you have to see some guys step up. And I'm just, I'm just wondering if we are built more to stop the run and get tackles for loss than we are to get sacks. Um, and I just think if you lose an Aleem or a Val Martin, you're all of a sudden very, very thin at the line. So I think it's funny. I think those two play off each other. I think the defensive line maybe not being as experienced, but then the linebackers being really good. I think that benefits us switching to the three three five. I think you'll see the linebackers take some of that pressure off of the defensive line. My thought with the defensive line is it it was going to be my choice for you know weakness or concern. I think the defensive backs is probably going to be that for me. For the defensive line, I think there's enough talent there. I mean, that class, the 2018 class, right? If they are half as good as their recruiting rankings and they start to show that, I still I have less concern about the defensive line. And I get that you lost Lias and uh, Gunter. Gunter's the one that really disappoints me. Yeah. You know, you lose Deontay Holden, James Smith Williams. I mean, those guys were serviceable, but they're, you know, for being honest, they weren't impact guys. They weren't, you know, putting up big numbers. And you're going to miss some of that experience, but I think you're going to make up for it with the raw talent that you have with guys like Savion Jackson. I think, you know, you can expect him to step up a little bit this year. Terrell Dawkins. Right, everybody's been kind of raving about him. He's who's kind of unknown, but he's one of the highest. He might he might have been the highest rated defensive lineman in that class. Uh, C.J. Clark, right? These guys are all they're all four stars. They're all really good players. And if they start to show out, I think you'll see the upside being greater than it was with the the guys that we lost. And so that's why I'm maybe not as concerned with the defensive line. The the one that I'm curious about is josh harris yes (laughs) like nobody's really talking about him you know everybody he he was unblockable in high school right he's he's huge and you know has he been able to maintain his weight has he been able to stay healthy like you just don't hear much about him and i'm not sure that's good or bad but he's the kind of guy that i think you know if he is I'm not sure what the right word is for it, but maybe if he's catching up to speed, if he's going to start getting useful minutes out of him, I think that will be one of the biggest impacts on the line because I think he's he's really good and he can be really good. He's got all the potential in the world. He's got the size, strength, everything you need for that that position. I just I'm really curious what's going to happen with him. He okay, so I, I will say this I. Josh Harris has been like the guy I've had circled for a long time as what we were missing. Just one of those mammoths in the middle that's going to 
take up multiple guys and it's going to be a problem. The challenge is he, if I remember correctly, had a foot injury last year, which derailed him. And, you know, just, I said this, I think last podcast for any of the big guys, I give a lot of forgiveness with during COVID. So I didn't expect them to come in 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 great shape. So, and he, and he's the biggest guy on the team. So I'm, I'm not surprised if it's going to take him a while to, to get back in shape um, and be ready to contribute, but also coming off of an injury, especially a foot injury is going to make it hard. I think for a big guy to be ready right away. Um, He's just a guy that I think, you know, he's still, he's still just a, I think he's still just a redshirt freshman. If I remember. Yep. Redshirt freshman. So, so I'm, I'm trying to tamp down my expectations. I think next year is when I, you know, would expect for him to really pop if, if he's had any struggles this off season, I think it's just, you know, it'll come together at some point. Um, but that's the same reason that I have concerns about CJ Clark. He was coming off of a, an injury, a shoulder injury, I believe, um, which kind of derailed him last year. So there's a lot of on paper talent in, in the, on the D line. And to me, I just think there's a little bit of a gap between uh, years and experience. And, you know, it's um, to your point about, uh, James Smith Williams and Deontay Holden, not really, you know, necessarily doing everything you want. I mean, Holden had been injured most of his career and he was really a pass rushing specialist. I think you got actually good production out of him last year and James Smith Williams. We never actually got to see him healthy. It seemed like over the last three years, he was constantly injured. So, yeah, you know, I, you just, that's why I always get worried about D line and O line. It's like the hardest spots to probably stay healthy. And there's a lot of promise with the D line. And by the end of the year, if everyone's healthy, I'm, I think we're going to be really excited by what we've seen from them. It's just, I just think if you lose a Lee McNeil, the whole D line can fall apart in my opinion, because I think he's the only one that really pops this year and he's going to make everything happen. I guess if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I, I think Savion Jackson is going to be, uh, He's going to be a guy that that surprises folks, and I, I don't even know how to, if that's the right word because he played a lot last year, but he was a freshman, right? But I guess maybe his expectations are a little bit uh, maybe out of focus because everybody's looking at Olin McNeil, and I think uh, you know Savion is is that good that he's going to be he's going to be that maybe missing piece. Depth is a concern. I think you know you're definitely you know who's going to step in there. You know, God forbid somebody gets the corona or somebody gets hurt or any of that stuff, right? Where's the depth going to come from? That, that to me, is a bigger concern of than rather, hey, are these guys any good, right? Yeah, and one guy we keep forgetting about is Daniel Joseph. Um, yeah. Again, my expectations are low. Just, I mean, yeah, he played games for Penn State, but he doesn't have exceptional numbers or anything like that. That said, right. sometimes you just need a fresh opportunity and – um new change of scenery and, and, and maybe he's more than that. So he, he at least addresses one of those concerns of mine. I just wish he had one more of like a brewer or Elias that just, you know, right. Someone you could rely on, on third downs that, yeah, he signals you're about to rush the passer, but he may be really damn good at it too. Um, yeah, but we'll see. I, I, I agree with what you said earlier though. I think these guys set up the linebackers, 
And that's one reason I'm not as concerned is just the, the overwhelming depth of the linebacker position and some of the playmaking ability um, can certainly make up for a lack of, you know, wow factor from the D line. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see four linebackers on the field, right? I know they're going to run base three, three, five, but I wouldn't be surprised if they slide in an extra backer in there um, because they have guys in there that can make those plays and, you'll probably get some pressure. And I, if I take a guess, your leading sack guy is going to be one of your linebackers this year. Yeah. I mean, between Asus, Wilson, and Vi Jones, I mean, that's just a ton of athleticism there that you think has to be, you know, a factor in, in the pass rushing game. And then, you know, does Drake Thomas just kind of has that football IQ we were talking about earlier, right? I mean, is he going to find his way into the backfield – just on, on instincts alone. Um, I don't know. There's, it, it's you, it's so you funny left out one of the top three tacklers, Isaiah Moore. Well, I was going to say Isaiah Moore, does, you know, does he look healthier? You know, does he carry his weight better this year? I think someone had mentioned, you know, they asked him to bulk up and, you know, so that that's a factor too. I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is like, it's really easy to, if you don't know anything about the program to easily slot us in at that 10, 11 spot, wherever sure. you put it. Right. And it also just doesn't take much in my mind for things to go much, much better. I mean, you know, we were down to our six DB in some games last year. So it shouldn't be surprising that a freshman quarterback was trying to, you know, score his way out of a hole every first quarter. It's like every team was attacking the exact same spot. So yeah, and that's a good segue into my concern is the secondary, right? I mean, that feel like it's been a concern since I don't know the beginning of Doran's tenure, the beginning of Huxtable's tenure. They finally have some new coaching blood back there, and they have a bunch of young guys. Like, what are you expecting from this secondary? Um, well, as long as we don't have to keep rotating them every single game. Um, you know, COVID's going to strike somehow, I guess, at some point. But I just expect, you know, consistency. And, you know, I thought we looked fine until the injuries started racking up last year. After the Syracuse game, it all fell apart, right? Because we had basically lost, I think Ingram went down in that game. And you'd had McLeod gone all season at that point. Um, you know, so... I think Brian Mitchell has a lot to work with. I think I think just being familiar with the scheme and not having to, you know, not having to basically go between two coordinators and all that stuff. I, I think these guys are going to be just better for it. Um, you know, I just want to, you know, I, I think you just want to see Ingram and Palmer and these guys back from injury and, and confident. But, you know... <laughs> Maybe that's the only thing I would be concerned with is if you don't really have a, a sack specialist commanding attention, do do quarterbacks sit back there and have enough time to still pick these guys apart? I, I don't know. Um, Who's going to be the starting corners in your mind? God, I, I'm trying to get like the freaking depth charts up just so I can even think through it. Um, is I think Ingram's still out, right? He was hurt. Well, that's what, back? yeah, that's what I recall. I was trying to see, I want to see if the Wolfpacker at least put the depth chart up just so I could look at the names again. Um, right. So, I mean, 
where where is where is our guy? Tyler Baker Williams, you know, is gonna be a starter. I don't know if he's slotted in just at nickel. So I guess I'll start there. He's my easiest one. Um and then let's see if the IPS system is is better put together. Um Yeah, so I mean geez. This is what happens. This is why I was late, everybody. I was sitting here working, and then I didn't think Evan was going to jump me with depth chart questions. <laughs> so now got to be ready. So now I got to go straight to the source, the, the GoPack roster, and now I'm going to filter it out by uh, by position and get my brain back on. Um, all right. So it's between... Palmer, Teon Palmer, who I believe is still injured, Cecil Powell, Chris Ingram, Devin Boinkin, Tayshawn Smith, Malik Dunlap, Shaheem Battle. I guess I'm going to lean in. If, if he's healthy, I'm assuming it's going to be Ingram. And then I kind of wonder if you'll get uh, Tayshawn Smith or Malik Dunlap there. I guess is who it would be. Yeah. Everyone talks about Cecil Powell and how athletic he is, though, so I can't write him off. Yeah, that's my um, – and that's what, exactly why my biggest concern probably overall is the secondary. I don't know what you have because you got a bunch of guys who some have played, some are hurt, some, you know, mediocre abilities. You know, I think there's some there's, – there's a little bit of everything in there with that group. I think there's some really good players. But I, I don't know where you're going to get. Now, my hope is that the coaching – has helped them in the scheme is going to help them, you know, be better, right? They're not going to ask, not going to be asked to be covering for, you know, five, six seconds, right? Like they seem like they were before, right? They weren't getting the pressure. There was the kind of the, the old sit back, bend, but don't break style, right? I don't think they're going to be asked to do that anymore. And I, I'm going to be curious to see if, how that plays out in the turnover game. You know, do they get more interceptions? Right. Things like this that are, you know, their pack was terrible at last year. I think they were second from the bottom in the country in um, interceptions and just not been something we've been good at. And people are going to, you know, for whatever reasons, right, playing the ball, looking back, all those things, you know, just a variety of things that are in there that are coming to play. But that to me is the, the biggest question mark, right? What are you going to get from these guys? So I, I, will, I will say that at least the Wolfpacker says that Tayshawn Smith and Cecil Powell would start out with Chris Ingram and Malik Dunlap being the reserves. And I assume Ingram's only being held up because he's still working his way back. So Yeah, so that that's questionable to me because you know Powell's a wide receiver last year. <laughs> uh, but like they but they moved him to wide receiver because of his speed and it was right after Riley went down. And right. It wasn't like they were asking him to do complex routes. He seemed to be just running down the field. Um, yeah. I think they moved him back at some point. So, you know, last year was that, <laughs> that was the wake up call, I guess, that they needed fast people when you had to bring over a DB just to, uh, to do the basic go route. Right. Yeah. So I think that, that to me, you know, kind of understates my question with that. That whole that whole unit, I think there's a lot of question marks there. Yeah, but I'm I mean, hoping the one, that the scheme is going to help them out. Yeah, the one thing I would say is like, 
I haven't seen Doran gushing over someone like Tyler Baker Williams in a while. So it, it <laughs> you know, he's calling him special. So, I mean, I think nickel maybe is finally kind of resolved, you know, the, do we have a guy that's in for rundowns only or pass downs only? So I wonder if Tyler Baker, T bake as they call him is going to be really that special of a player. I mean, I'm not worried about Tanner Engel. You know, I'm not worried about the safeties as much. Um, and especially well, I, if I think, yeah, I was going to say if Ashford really is coming in and contributing right away, um, you know, that makes me comfortable. Cause I, I thought, oh, okay, here's a Juco guy, but he's not going to contribute. Um, what were you going to say? No, I really like Engel, right? He's one of my least that I'm concerned about that safety position. I think is really in good hands with him. I think he's a big upgrade over Moorhead. I think Moorhead, we've talked about before, had a not a great year last year. But I think Tanner Engel, to me, is a guy that is going to anchor that that secondary. If you go back and watch any of the videos, watch the games from last year, and, and not look at his good plays, look at his bad ones, a lot of them weren't on him. Yeah. You know, a lot of them he was – you know, in the right position, he wasn't getting the help he needed. Or you know, he did have a couple of mistakes. You know, playing inside, so be playing outside. You could you could see the difference there. But for the most part, and, and this is why they raved about him last year is he knows football. He has got a really good IQ, and he, and I think that's that's going to help a lot. But um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not super concerned about him and the safeties. And I think, like you said, Tyler Baker Williams was a guy two years ago they were saying he's the best best athlete on the team. And that's why they put him at running back, right? They put, the, he started, he took the first carry of the of It wasn't it was, two a, years it was ago. a pass, right? Wasn't it? He he fumbled. Was it, a pass? it was it was a if Something, I remember yeah. it was like a flare like a halfback uh like a flare out or bubble and he gets it, turns up field, boom fumbles and like everyone like and immediately they're like bench him <laughs> and yeah i was like well the reason he's back there is because we're in a depth we have i mean it's always one thing we have the same squad yeah There's we have no running backs two, yeah right um but we got running backs now <laughs> we got, right we got a bunch now um so jumping over to running backs right we'll go we'll go around since we're, we're talking about them that's that's your strength and now we've had some questions people asked us: Ricky Person or Bam Knight? Who's who's your who's your starter? Who's who's first on depth chart? If he's healthy, it's Ricky Person. Oh no, sir! Yeah, I I actually now the reason I say that is if he's healthy, as in he's living up to his potential and you know he's not breaking. Um, I mean, this guy was like a top. What was he like a top five back in the country or whatever? Um, when he was coming out of high school. Everyone says he's really, really special. He just cannot get healthy. And I thought I saw some positive pub on him the other day from maybe it was from Doring from one of the scrimmages. Um, and he's a little bit bigger, so I'd, I'd I'd rather have him be your first and second down back, and then bring in Ricky to uh, or sorry, not Ricky, sorry, bring in Zonovan to 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 be the big play guy, but. I'd also be happy if you're splitting time between them. I'm just, I'm just telling you, if he's healthy, I think Ricky Person will be that guy that everyone's saying like, "Oh shit, that's right, that's why we recruited that guy." I'm wondering if he's got a little bit of a TA in him, where 
little soft. Right? Whoa, I mean, just I, put him in the hot tub. Or put him in the cold tub. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Bam Knight. I think Bam had 700-plus yards last year, splitting time, not being fully healthy. Like, I think he's the real deal. You're not I a men's Bam guy? I, I'm, I'm curious what you get from him. We'll get there. But I think Bam's the real deal. I think he's the... Nobody should have benefited more from having 18 months off or whatever it was than Ricky Burson. Right. So absolutely like missing the spring, not having spring workouts, probably great for his body. Right. It's probably the first time he hasn't been tackled in, you know, the last two decades. So (laughs) I'm hoping he's healthy. And I think if he is, and that's a great one, two punch. I think Knight's the Knight's the guy there. I mean, here's the thing. Person is so good. He's good at catching the ball. He's 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 good at everything. I think the one thing you want to see with Knight is I think he had a little bit of ball security issues and his receiving skills aren't as good. So that's why I think a healthy person even today I think could is who I would want to start with. Um I mean by the that's end of the year yeah. I I could see Knight easily have a thousand yards by the end of the year. Um and and Ricky Person still be in the lead role if he's that really balanced option, you know, eight hundred yards and who knows what did he have? I mean, last year he had. I need to go back to his freshman year. I want to see what his pass catching stats were. Um, yeah, he had four hundred yards receiving. Am I reading? Oh, that's sorry. They sent me to Tabari Hines. I was about to say that's a whole lot. <laughs> Pretty impressive, Ricky. Um, I don't think it was that much. Yeah, yeah. This is why ESPN is a garbage website. I keep clicking Ricky Person, and it keeps sending me to Tabari Hines. <laughs> so. Well, I think Jordan Houston gets in there. Some everybody really likes Jordan. Um, Doran always mentions him. It seems like in you start talking about the the offense, and it's he's usually not the first guy mentioned, but he seems to be mentioned in every you know, practice update or media availability. Oh yeah. Jordan Houston, you know, he runs hard and those sorts of things. So he'll get in there. Delbert Mims. I don't, I, I really, you know, I watched his, his huddle is about the only thing I know of Delbert Mims when state needed a running back bad. They were missing everybody. Was it last year? And they took Mims over. I don't remember who he had offers from other some of the Southern Miss or Vanderbilt, something like that. He was committed to Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. Okay, okay. Like I really don't know anything about him, but he's like a pure running back. I know that much. He's more of a Gillespie bowling ball type guy. Um, I'd be curious if he gets some run. Like it's gonna be one of those years where you're gonna see a lot of a lot of players, a lot of. Uh, Deep on the depth chart, so I was trying to say. I feel like he's definitely going to be the guy that pops up in the goal line situations. Um, anytime Doran decides to give a running back a shout out, it just catches catches my eyes. And and he gave a shout out for for Mims. Um, you know, I, I guess expectations are low, but just I, I'm not going to be surprised if he's that kind of bowling ball that we use down at the goal line. Um, it, it'll be real interesting to see. I mean, the guy that I have zero idea what to do with is Trent Penix. Um, yeah, that was, yeah. It's like he's apparently this athletic freak, 
And it's like, does he just not have a position? Is he, are we only going to use him for trick plays? Is he ever going to turn into a linebacker <laughs> or safety? He's strange. Yeah. Like he was a safety in high school and a running back. Right. And the report is that he's one of the fastest guys on the team. And, you know, I'll be honest, watching watching our games, he never stood out to me as, even his limited time, as super fast. Now, I don't know why, why that is. Maybe he's not being, maybe he's not in the right places or not being put in the right position or not, you know, not utilizing him. But, you know, if you're a really good athlete and you're that fast, you'd think, you'd think you'd find your way onto the field somewhere, right? Yes. But uh, again, it's like it, he may just be someone that just doesn't really have a home uh, for some reason. Um, he can obviously catch passes. So, you know, is he just going to be a third down kind of guy or is he just going to be a depth chart piece? It just seems like, yeah, it seems like it's being wasted. I don't know if he's contributing on special teams, but like I would assume if you're one of the fastest players on the team, you're going to be doing that. Um, yeah. You Jack know, but, of many, master of none. Yeah, I mean, it could be. I mean, he's only a redshirt sophomore again, so like maybe they just haven't figured out how to use him. But at the same time, it's like if if you're Trent Penix and you see Knight and Houston in person already and you see Mims, like you have to know that like maybe you're in the wrong room. Like that I'm just I and maybe he just doesn't have it in him, but I just always thought when we when we recruited him, I was like, that's gonna be the safety. And he's gonna he's gonna be like a Earl Wolf type that's just gonna come in and lay the hammer and just be a big body, but I, I guess I'm wrong. Yeah, I thought so too. I was I wasn't sure, but I thought he would be he would end up somewhere in the safety linebacker range. It's a strange it's strange that somebody who's supposedly that fast can't get on the field or stay on the field or be on the field. Right, just something doesn't something doesn't jive with me there, so I'm not sure. Um, he scores each year, man, him. so you can just bank on that. He's going to get at least one touchdown. Yeah, right. See, your concern, so you know, you think the running backs are going to be good. I think everybody probably agrees that that's probably the strongest position State's got is running back, maybe linebacker. But the running backs aren't going to be squat if you think the offensive line is questionable. I. I would just, I'd say it's the least deep, probably the most exciting, maybe, I guess, is the way I'd label it. Like, uh, Ike Aquano, I'm on the Aquano. I, after that Syracuse game, I was like, that guy's a, a stud and a star. Yeah, so, he's awesome. Aquano, Skullthorpe, like, I like the left side of the line, the right side. I mean, Grant Gibson, like, I, he just seems to be, like, reliable. So that's all I can really say about him. I like that he's a former defensive lineman, so you know he's got some tenacity to him. He's not like, you know, it's like I knew Selfo was undersized a little bit, but he was just nasty, and he was so experienced that I was never worried about him at center. Same thing with um, Bradbury. It was like, you know, Grant Gibson just seems to be, I don't want to say he's a guy. I'm, I'm saying he does a good job of not being the guy that you point to and be like, that's the problem, I guess is what I mean. Um but, you know, probably like Bryson Spees at right guard. Um, Riley, you know, seems to be the one that's going to beat out Wit at, at right tackle. I guess I'm not really impressed with our right tackle right now. 
Um, they do say Tyrone, if he's healthy, could be special. So I'm trying to take away my judgment of watching him as a defensive lineman and knowing that he's been hurt or battled pneumonia or, you know, he's just had some challenges there. So it just seems like the right side is a bigger question mark. Um, do you see McMahon um, come in and unseat Spees? Um, does Justin Witt pull it, put it all together? I mean, will I ever get to stop thinking of Justin Witt getting his ass beat by the South Carolina defensive lineman? No. You know, like that was the word. I know it's not fair, but that's all I can remember, right? You know, and that's all because Will Richardson couldn't be, you know, a freaking vet and keep it together in the offseason. That whole game, sorry guys, that game could have been a launching pad for that team. And instead, we had to deal with such some BS off field and it cost us, I think, um, that win. And I think a win over South Carolina would have yielded a lot of dividends just even on the recruiting trail. So I guess what I'm saying is like, this could be easily be a year where you see Tim McKay and um, Dylan McMahon and, you know, the, these young guys just come in because if, if the older guys aren't really getting it done, um, you know, we, we just trade it off and say like, well, let's get the experience here. Um, so that's why I guess I'm a little nervous about that position group. I think they do lean on the young side. I think there's some really good players there. Um, you've got guys like Zonovan Lindsay, mm-hmm. uh, Derek Eason. Um, you know, these guys have played before. They, they've got some reps in. I really like Garrison. So yes. if his coaching is as good as it sounds like, right, and as good as his history has been with the offensive line, then, you know, I'm bullish on the offensive line. I think they're going to be pretty good. And maybe not dominant, but good enough that paired with a good offensive scheme and a really good crew of running backs, you know, I think that has a lot, it's going to help the offense a lot. And I think that's going to be, um, you know, a big improvement with you got guys just getting more reps, right? You're going to have these these guys that were freshmen last year who had to play McMahon and Icky, and they're going to, they're, they, they should be better, right? I think they should, uh, they should show out a little bit better. Now there are some concerns. I, I think you're right with, you know, the right side and who's who's going to be the the depth piece. But I think they they have the talent and the scheme there that that I think they're going to be okay. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you could have a really good starting group, and then it's like you just want them to stay together. Like you said, I at least I'm not concerned about coaching at all. I think Garrison, I frankly, I think we should have been a bigger train wreck last year. And I, so I think that's a testament to what Garrison has been doing on the O-line. And I also feel like that throughout the whole staff, you know, I mean, we haven't even talked about it, but I feel like going into the season, this is the best staff we've had in a long time. Yeah. Uh, one quick note on Tyrone Riley, and I don't know if this is me, but everybody else who you know pays attention to it, he came in, he was six foot seven, 190 pounds. He was a defensive end. He's six six, three oh five right now. He he basically gained like half a person. It's unbelievable how big that guy's gotten from where he was. Like yeah. he was a skinny defensive end, and like ah, he's gonna be, you know, undersized defensive end. Now he's an offensive tackle. He's enormous. 
I mean, it's coming crazy. off the bus, he looks like he's going to be an NFL lineman. I mean, now, yeah, you know, so he's got his frame is huge, and that's why I could, you know, I bet I'm guaranteeing his wingspan is probably larger than Justin Witt's. Um, yeah, you know, he he could certainly be special. It just needs to kind of pull together. It's not a situation like with McGirt last year where you're like, this dude's knees are just blown to pieces. So it's not surprising to see him um, struggling, right? I mean, this this guy was a defensive end, and he just wasn't athletic enough to really crack a, a stacked rotation at, at DE. So he came over to O-line. So, like, this guy, he could be another Bradbury in that sense of, you know, just had to find the right spot for him. Now he's there. Same same thing with Easton, right? Wasn't Easton defensive lineman, and now he's a guard? I remember that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if Tyrone Riley stays healthy, I think he'll, he'll really help that offensive line. I think that'll be the, maybe the difference that we're, we're looking for. Uh, Like there's not a whole lot of concerns there. I think you can find enough guys that can play. If guys like Riley stay healthy and you're not, you know, getting deep on your depth chart. I think, Really, the last thing to talk about. Well, I guess we have the wide receivers. So, why, where where do you feel about where you stand with the wide receivers? Just give me uh, CJ Riley, Chris Scott, and uh, you know, I don't know Thayer Thomas, and and I'm going to be happy. I, I, I'm all for big plays this year. And I think those guys are going to give it. I just want to see Chris Scott on the field for one play. He's going to look yeah. like, a, you know, a twig. <laughs> yeah. But he's making too much noise, in my opinion. Too many guys are saying in interviews how freaking fast he is. Um, right. And, you know, what? Hollywood Brown was like 150 pounds playing for the Ravens last year. So it, it can easily be done. You can find a way for this guy's speed to get on the field. Uh it's obviously going to be like a Mezzi Carter and Thayer, I'm guessing, are going to start. Um, unless Porter Rooks displaces. I mean, Porter Rooks will probably have to displace a Mezzi, and I, I don't think Dave is going to do that. He's too fragile um, to do that. And, and he seems to be. Uh, he seems to be trying to replicate the Kelvin Harmon uh, work methodology. So I think a Mezzi is going to be um, a nice consistent surprise this year. Um, but I really want to see Chris, Chris Scott. Uh, my concern, uh, just between you and I and everybody else who's listening with CJ Riley is not, has he recovered from his injuries? But can he catch the old, um, Oh my God! Who was it? Who was our wide receiver for Russell Wilson that would blow Owen everyone Spencer. on? Yeah, Owen Spencer. Yeah, like CJ Riley, he's fast. But if if we're being objective, go back and watch his earlier career, and he had some pretty big drops. I agree, um, but he also had some pretty great catches too. He, Texas A and M. He's a wide receiver. He should. The drops were what concerns concerned me more than the spectacular catches. He's, like, but he's not your one, right? He's your wide receiver yeah. too, right? He's, you know, where he where his where he's best is like those long crossing routes across the middle of the field, um, right? 
you know, he's going to get separation and if he catches it, he's going to have room to, to make a play. I, I don't disagree with it, but I also feel like people have been like maybe hammering him a little hard uh, on the drops. And obviously you didn't get to see last year. So who knows if he had made big improvements there. Yeah, the sample size is small. I'll, I'll give you that. My, I just, yeah, like I have Owen Spencer flashbacks and, you know, like maybe I watched the replacements one too many times and thinking about Clifford Franklin, you know, <laughs> having to put glue on his hands. But like that's where I am with, with CJ Riley. Everybody's like excited he's back and like, yeah, I am too. But my man's got to catch the ball, <laughs> like catch the ball and then we'll, then we'll talk and then I'll feel, I'll feel comfortable about that. Well, he did be the minority there. So yeah, I mean he he had 28 receptions the year before. I mean, right? He had a, he averaged 11 yards a reception. I think that was as a sophomore, or I can't even remember what year. I mean, look, here's the thing: CJ Riley is going to be here until he has a PhD. So, <laughs> like, he's gonna catch a, catch balls at some point. Is my theory, right? Um, right. You know, I yeah, I think like the guy. I think that's going to be interesting to see is like Devin Carter. Um, yeah, you know, what does he do this year? I am not putting much stock in, I guess I'm not expecting to see a lot of Keon Lassane or, oh. um, well, here's the thing. Finally, Thayer Thomas didn't play baseball and everyone keeps talking. He looks healthy. He feels better. And like, I, I don't know where his future is. I don't know how good of a baseball player he is because, uh, newsflash, I don't watch college baseball that much. Um, but it, I, I, we just got to stop having two sport playing, uh, and, and you can't <laughs> right. football on baseball. It's just, I think you can't, you can't recover fast enough. If the volume is there, Keon saying is going to be the most productive wide receiver we have in what yards per catch. Like what are we doing here? Give me some fancy Maybe not touchdowns, stats. but like yards. Yeah, yards per catch. Like he's going to be the guy. He, I, I think he's really got potential. Okay. If the volume is equal, like I think Amezi probably gets the bulk of the targets. I think he on the same. If he gets volume as Thayer Thomas, he'll be as productive. I actually was going to go the opposite way. I was going to say Thayer Thomas is going to get the most targets this year. It's possible. It's possible, yeah. Because um, it sounds like he and Leary have been working on their, their connection. I wanted to go see. I know Lesane needed to bulk up a little bit. I'm curious um, Curious to see if he's made that uh, that improvement. Um, yeah, Lesane could be special, I guess. He could be what – I, what I think is Lesane could be – he could be your yards after catch. I could see – I, well, Chris Scott is obviously going to win the yards per catch because he's going to get one 90-yard pass, uh, and then we're going to bench him. So, I I mean, I think Thayer's going to get the most targets. Amezi will probably most likely have, like, the best yards per catch from, you know, like, actually having 30 or more targets or something like that. Um and then it's just like, does, do C.J. Riley and and these guys, are they an X-Factor? Is C.J. Riley, does he turn into more of a red zone guy that we're just throwing jump balls to him and Angeline or Angeline? I, I don't know. I, I can't remember what the correct way to say it is now. Angeline. 
Okay. Yeah, Angela. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope so. I, I, adding in Angela in that conversation, I hope they start throwing jump balls to him and the in the red zone, right? I mean, it's something like the last few years they haven't done for whatever reason between Harmon and him and any other tall guy we've had. Like they've just neglected to run a play that utilizes hate them being tall and can jump and can catch things over their head. Like utilize that to me. I think that's one of the, the biggest, what the F of that we've seen out of this offensive play calling over the last few years. Well, that's like, um, I can't remember if it's Bo Corrales or who it is over at UNC, but all the guy that all they do is target the guy in the red zone. Yeah. Right. And I think that's where in the past, you know, state's always been a. I'm gonna, I'm gonna attack you where you're weakest, not necessarily where I, you know, I'm not gonna force anything. And I think that's why Angeline and, you know, Riley and these others just, you think you'd be throwing fades or you think you'd be throwing pick plays like slants. I mean, these guys should be just racking it up um, down there. But you know, I think in the past, I think we focused on trying to run while we were down there too. So that that could be a factor, right? Oh, let's talk tight yeah, ends. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> – I know you want to talk tight ends. I'm I'm avoiding it for a reason. Oh, man. It's the best, it's the best position group. It's it's a real a real uh football nerds position. Yeah, we're not gonna go there. So what I do want to talk about is uh, coaching. All right, you mentioned it earlier. And I think the coaching staff alone, I think this is one of Dorn's best that he's put together based on the experience, their preferred systems and schemes and their records with those systems and schemes. So I think that to me, there's an opportunity there for if they had enough time to get these things in place for an immediate bump, just from that alone. You know, we've talked about with offense, I think having an experienced play caller is invaluable. I think something like that is just we've been missing. I think you could, you could see it. You could see that there wasn't any flow or any rhythm or they were just missing something. And having Tim Beck there, him alone to me is one of the biggest improvements that Dave Doran could have made. I think – you see that with experienced offensive coordinators, and I hate to use this analogy, but if you look down the road at Chapel Hill and you look at Phil Longo, like I, I followed him from the from early days. He was at Sam Houston State and his early offensive coordinator days, and the guy knows what he's doing, and I think that makes a huge, huge difference. They don't have to do anything fancy, right? You don't have to run different plays every time. You can see if you watch Carolina, you watch Longo call a game, and they did it against us. Like they'll call a play if it works, they'll call it again, and they'll call it again, and they call it until you they may until you stop it, and then they do something else. But they keep things simple, and I think when you're at this level, that's what you need. I think that's that makes it exponentially more effective. And I imagine Tim Beck's got some of that in him. He's got that experience. He's got the records that speaks for himself. So to me, I think that is a he's a huge advantage for us that we, you know, or a huge piece that we've been missing. I don't disagree at all. 
I I think this is what I've been saying for years is like get someone who has their system, let them do their system and and just step back. I could understand if people are a little nervous just because he hasn't been calling plays supposedly at some of these stops. But at the same time, Tom Herman doesn't bring Tim Beck to Texas if he doesn't think he's he's the real deal. And Urban Meyer doesn't bring him in to to get his inputs and tweak uh, tweak his offense and run his quarterbacks if he's not the real deal. So I I'm very f- much looking forward to it. The only thing I would say again is we didn't get spring ball. We already had a disruption from COVID. I'm really checking my expectations. It, I, if the offense looks relatively basic this season, I that's what I'm going to point to. And then it's just, you know, are we, are we doing the basic things well? Um, or do we have to go back to this whole, you know, you know, just, what do I want to say? Uh, smoke and mirrors basically is I feel like what we were trying to do last year to try to manufacture anything. So I feel really good about him. I am just happy to stop talking about, um, the defensive coordinator about Huxtable <laughs> and uh, you can blame it all on one person this year. And um, you know, I think he's going to be very aggressive. I just hope we don't let up a ton of big plays and not be able to answer them on offense under Gibson. Um, but at the same time, like I feel like it's not since, um, boy, I always forget this guy's name. Who was that? Who was our defensive line coach that um, coach Chubb and all those guys? What's that? Oh, Ryan Nielsen. Yeah. So Charlie Wiles and Ryan Nielsen, I think, are on the same level in my book. And I think he's an upgrade over Patrick. Um, I think Brian Mitchell is going to show to prove to be an upgrade, you know, to Forrest. And what I like about it is all these guys are connected and have played with each other and spent a lot of time together during the COVID, during the quarantine time. So I'm not as concerned about defense. I think. I think those guys can react and it's not actually the first year of the three, three, five. So, you know, I'm more concerned, I guess, about offense Leary being able to process quickly just because everything's new. And we've had just so few probably limited scrimmages with the full team. I'm wondering how much time they actually uh, get to work in like seven and sevens and, and whatnot in, you know, in practice, or are they still just doing installs? I don't know, man. I'm just expecting a lot of running, I guess, this year. That's what I keep coming back to. And then like deep shots. I just feel like we're going to run the ball a ton because that's, that's where that's going to be easier for us to, I think, install and get all these timings down that may have been impacted by quarterbacks and wide receivers, not getting to spend a lot of time together. Yeah, I agree that that would be my concern as well. And I, I do think you're going to see a lot of running, and I think, again, that's a benefit of having an experienced offensive coordinator kind of leaning into that, having a guy like Garrison with experience in the run game, being able to maybe manipulate things that will be more beneficial of at least you know taking advantage of the good pieces that you have, right? getting guys, getting the fast guys out in the open, getting, you know, getting the ball in the hands of those guys that can make things happen. We haven't had that before. We haven't had that in a while, at least. And I'm looking forward to seeing if we have that now, right? I think we have that that piece of that now. 
So yeah, I mean, the good thing is, is Wake Forest can't pay anyone to steal our stuff because nobody knows what we're going to do. Um, so you know, advantage us playing them first game, and uh, I think you know, man, it, it's I can't believe you don't want to talk about tight ends. This is really throwing me off. <laughs> Go ahead, get it out. Give me your okay. tight end spiel. I'm telling you why we're going to be really good this year, and it's Dylan Ott and Reith, and that's all I'm going to say. The ground game is going to be so much freaking better. That's why we're going to run is because Dylan Ott and Reith, and then, you know, like you said, I don't think we're going to forget that you have a 6-7, like, what, what was the guy's name from the replacements with the glue on his hand? Clifford Franklin? Yeah. Clifford Franklin. He's got, he's got his glue hands, okay? Like, I... I I cannot believe how many years we've had to have this conversation about like, why can you not get it to this guy? Um, (laughs) You know, it's just don't make him block. Don't just let him go run like the gazelle that he is the, the big giant awkward gazelle and let him just go catch balls. Let Dylan Ottenreath block. Um, You know, who do we bring in cam Walker? You, You know, like, Quit making Dylan Bar- Parham block. Like Dylan Parham could could be an X factor there too. Um, I'm very excited to All see right, that. Answer me this question. Answer me this on on tight ends. Yeah, tight end is so important from a blocking standpoint. Why don't they just bring in another lineman? Uh, you know, actually, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it reminded me. I think someone was talking about do we, you know, d- debating between Riley and. Um, wit and i was like well you know notre dame just has seven guys you know and you saw right you've seen bc do it too i'm surprised maybe you know i i guess i wouldn't be surprised we did it against unc that one year with that unbalanced line formation um when kobe only had to throw the ball 11 times um it's it's possible the thing is is with an offensive lineman you just know that there's no worries at all that they're going to get a pass right unless it's a trick play down the goal line so um, it's, it's important. I, just, because, I never understood that. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is it's just, it, you have better expectation for a tight end to be able to work his way off of a defensive end who's his size. And then to have an advantage on a linebacker than necessarily, you know, you, you really have to scheme the, the offensive lineman to get to that second level. It's easier for a, a tight end to do it. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I think what it really comes down to. All right, there you go. You feel better? I do. Got your tight ends in? I do. Every night I get when I'm going to sleep, I imagine a, a nice run play right before I fade out. And I feel like you have Dylan Ottenreath's picture on your nightstand or something. I, like, I, I just got, it's just um, it's it's got a blank picture for the face and just a football player body that says tight end. <laughs> <laughs> tight end number one. So tight end. I'm telling you, man, they make the world go round. I, I I was just looking to see if Zion Reeves had announced yet or not, and I clicked on a, a thread, and the last comment said, someone says, Ethan is the ultimate Eeyore, and then it says, you can't trust a man's opinion who disrespects tight end's role in a modern offense. <laughs> was that you? Was that no, you writing that? No, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. A uh, couple other questions here. I, I think uh, uh, we talked about Leary. Well, we finally break this Wake Forest curse. Yes, we're going to beat Wake Forest. Uh, I'm confident that uh, I, I like Clawson, but they lost their best receiver. Their quarterback is uh, 
what's his name? Hartman, Sam Hartman, the backyard. He, I trust him if we're playing like flag football, but I, I think we're, I think we got Wake Forest this year. You we also better, get the Clemson, the Clemson effect. They play Clemson first. And I think last year, every Did team they? that played them. Yeah. Every team that played Clemson last year, I think eight of them lost the following week. Um, nice. Good. So hopefully Clemson beats the mess out of them and then we beat the mess out of them too. Yeah. They play Clemson 7.30 p.m. on the 12th. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had also learning to fish this weekend. <laughs> I was, I'm always excited. I had another buddy who asked me about this question too. First, I'd default anything – like lake fishing to Alec Lower. Go read Alec Lower's bass blog. Go follow Alec. He knows more about bass fishing than than I've ever learned. And uh, he's got really good information there. Uh, what I will tell you, though, is it's not about the fishing. It's just about the time being out there. Right? It's, it's more fun if you catch fish, but it's also enjoyable just to be out there and, you know, being on the water hanging out with your your boys, doing what you're doing, you know, have a drink, chill. And, and that's, I think that's the best part about it. You know, if you're recreational fishing, it's, it's kind of a disconnect for me. I walk down to the pond and I'll just sit there and, you know, cast for 45 minutes and not think about anything. And I think that's the best part about fishing. So throw a, you know, throw a Carolina rigged worm on your, your reel and, don't worry about it. Just go out there and have a good time. And I think that's, uh, you're really going to enjoy it if you can approach it that way and not put pressure on yourself to have to catch fish. Yeah. I, I would say if you are trying to actually get into fishing, the first thing you need to do is understand everything you can about the fish you're going after. So, uh, you know, bass, like large bass has no eyelids, for example. So they prefer shade. They prefer cover. You got to think they're an aggressive um, predator type fish, right? So they're looking for these opportunities to jump everything that they can. So if it's bright outside when you're out there, Mahesh, uh, they're going to be looking for any kind of structure and cover to be under. And I'm sure Alec covers that like in lesson one, a first sentence. Um, yeah, you're right. Have fun. Don't, don't go crazy buying a, a ton of lures and, uh, rigs. Like, yeah, you can get away with a Carolina rig and a couple, um, a couple crankbaits is all you're really going to need. Um, yeah. you can get fancy and, and get like some chatter baits or whatever, but like you, you need a, you only need a small tackle box to get any kind of bass that's really hungry outside. Um, and I was going to say, if you ever get fancy, you want to try it, fly fishing for, for bass is very, very exciting and is a completely different skill set. Yeah. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, uh... Get a good fish finder too. <laughs> well, that's always, where I think that's the first thing we should have asked. Is he walking around a pond or is he going to be on a boat? Like what's his. No, he's going to Lake Norman. I already asked him. Yeah. Oh, so okay. He's going to Lake Norman. Oh, and that's why I said big boy fishing. That's, that's more Alex speed. Um, but if you're, you're probably going with somebody who knows what they're doing. So hopefully I have a good that's, fish finder. That's also that. a tough lake. Cause there's just so much activity going on top of it too. So probably try to get out as early in the morning as you can. Is what I, I'm guessing. Yeah. Colder water, shade, yeah, like like Will said. The eyelid things I didn't know. I think that's interesting, but it, you know, they make sense. They like oh yeah, shade. yeah. That's they hate bright light. That's why they're always early morning. It's when they're really active, and then as soon as there's any sun, they start getting under, they get in the weeds, they get under the logs. 
and they're just trying to jump guys. Uh, also, I would say if it's not working, Mahesh, Lake Norman's got some really nice catfish. So <laughs> just yeah, just throw cut some something up, put it on the bottom, and just wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, breaking news. NC State has landed a commitment from East Forsyth's Zion Reeves. Oh, boy. here we, we You hear it here first, people, in, in an hour after this post. <laughs> yeah. Breaking news. I like it. Um, that was funny. Next question from Pack Recruiting. Uh, where do we stand with Zion, Jabril, and Lee? Well, you got Zion, so that's good. Uh, I feel pretty good about Jabril and McNeil, I think. Um, I find it hard pressed that Alan McNeil lets him go anywhere else. I know you have the brother thing in other places, and they don't want to follow in footsteps. But Alim has been such a Alim Alim has been such a champion for NC State from day one that I find it hard to believe that he does the same for doesn't do the same for his brother. And, that would be my guess. And if and if Alim has a good year, then we have such a track record of success of pointing out guys that, you know, start out at linebacker and start sizing up and, you know, really hit meet their potential and, and get to the NFL. So, um, you know, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if Aleem's not here to actually play with his brother, but at the same time, like you have to look at our success of, of developing this specific type of recruit with Chubb, with Aleem and others and, you know, he'd have to like what he sees. The only thing I could see is just if he's really, you know, he he would have been growing up during that time when Oregon was all the rave, right? And all you'd ever hear about was how exciting Oregon was. And right. I could certainly see a kid like that wanting to get away from home, having an opportunity to go to Oregon, um, you know, and and I, I, I won't fault him for that, I guess. I'll, I'll be more mad if he chooses someone like more local. Um, but I, yeah, it's just it seems like very hard to believe that he wouldn't pick here. But you know, stranger things have happened. Uh, underrated football, underrated player has a potential to shine this season. Give me a quick one. Um, Dylan Parham, Keon Lassane. I'm going. I'm sticking with Keon Lassane. I think he's going to have a good year. I think that's fair. Uh, favorite tailgating song. Ooh. I don't really have one, to be honest. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I have a well, weird like, thing hey, where back, hey, back in the day, used to... <laughs> what did you say? I said today is a good day by Ice Cube. <laughs> yeah, I mean, any tailgating song that we're actually tailgating is going to be a good day. Back in the day, I used to have a CD of just marching bands playing fight songs, <laughs> and I loved it. Like, I, yeah, I have a problem with college football. So a lot of people probably walked by your tailgate, is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I didn't play that tailgate. I was just my cruising in the car. Music. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you're like, one day people right. are going to hear me talking on the on their car about this. Right? I did tell you. I, I, I think I told you. I pulled up to somebody in the intersection, and I heard myself, and I looked out the window, and somebody was listening to our last episode, and I was like, this is so weird. Were you like, rate it five stars? <laughs> I was like, yeah, give me a review. Like and and subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) All right, 30 seconds. I got a a question for you, unfootball related. Give me me a 30-second spiel why I should finish season one of The Mandalorian because season season two is coming out and somebody wanted us to mention it. Um, I I guess they've started season one, if I'm reading that correctly. No, Uh, I haven't. I 
gave up halfway through. Is like this is boring. Um, Why am I watching this? The final few episodes, I think, kind of capture more of the magic of the first one or two episodes. The middle is, you know, kind of unrelated, if you ask me. Um, you know, don't you want to know about Baby Yoda, man? I mean, I guess. I, I like the final two episodes. I thought they were. I thought they were good. Um, I, I felt like you. The I really liked the world, but the those middle few episodes, I was kind of like, "What are we watching?" Did you Did you watch the Bill Burr episode? Uh, honestly, I don't even remember. I'd have, have to go back. I think we're somewhere at four or five. Okay, so yeah, that. I think that's right when it starts coming in. Um, if you've got time, I would watch it. But like at the same time, like you know, if you're not feeling it, you don't you don't have to watch it. Don't let don't don't be manipulated by big disney <laughs> big, <laughs> big disney's making me watch the mandalorian all right that's right all right some somebody else give me a, a better convincing argument why i, I should finish that show. I, I mean look i like the mandalorian but like i didn't love it i loved i i thought the first two episodes could have been a fun movie and i would have been more kind of intrigued with that so that that was kind of my take for the whole series all right fair enough all right, that's all I got. We've been rambling long enough. It feels really good to be talking about football. We've got some games in already, so hopefully this momentum continues. And you know, next week we're actually talking about some big boy football. So looking forward to it. Thanks for the questions, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'm not going to give you the go right and review us, but if you want to go right and review us, feel free. It doesn't hurt. <laughs> Every other podcast does it. I feel obligated to do it, but really, I don't give a shit if you do it or not. I appreciate it if you do. Yeah. We're going to be here talking to ourselves, so no no sweat of our yeah. back. We do have football this weekend. I know weekend. our fans aren't going anywhere. They're going to listen. Say what? I said there is football this weekend. So if, if people are bored, Saturday, you got Eastern Kentucky and Marshall starting at 1 o'clock. There's a few games. I will watch some sort of football this weekend. You can guarantee it. game will probably be good. That's 8 o'clock. Yeah. All right, folks, thanks for listening as always. Go back. Go back. Hold on, I'll put the new one. You all know exactly who I am. Now, say my name. We must pay homage to him. Homage to him.